Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Shore Podcast. Episode 339. I looked back real quick because um, I got a little cat sleeping behind me. I was curious if me introducing the show would awaken him. He seems completely knocked out, so we'll see. Maybe he'll get up and leave. <laughs> welcome. This is the first normal episode of the year. Thank you if you listened to my last episode, Game of the Year, despite it being kind of all over the place. I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. And uh, it's, I think it's always kind of fun to highlight games and what they did best and things like that and not not worry too much about the quality overall. I, I think it was like, like, like focusing on particular angles, I think, is kind of fun. So um, it, it's one of those things that I don't know if people really get upset about like Game of the Year lists anymore. I feel like there used to be a while where people would be like, oh, there's, there's a defined list of what actually fits on the list. But I think now... I wonder, well, it could be I just disconnected from everything, right? Because I don't really focus too much on communities who are in kind of that main, you know, kind of gaming discussion space that would be reading like an IGN.com or something like that, right? Um, But also, you know, I think there is just a lot more diversity in terms of the people playing games and stuff like that and the types of games they're playing and the, the games they're focusing on and the number of games out there means that there's just large swaths of the industry that you aren't really covering when doing a game of the year list, um, uh, unfortunately, just the nature of the scale, right? So, I, I, I'm curious, like how I would be, I would be interested to see if like somebody did like a how how game of the year has evolved over the years. Even if it's just looking at like one outlet, right? Like what what did IGN and Gamespot do for game of the year for you know 20 years now or something like that? Right? I don't know how far back IGN's website goes or however long it is. Let's see, what is it? It's 2024, 2004. Yeah, they're definitely around in 2004. Yeah, maybe 25 years then of history, something like that. They started, I think they started out as like N64.com or something like that. Is that that sounds right. I don't know. Don't listen to me. We're here to talk about video games, so don't listen to me talk about video games. Turn this podcast off right now because what I'm about to say is about Final Fantasy XI. <laughs> I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. Just a quick little Final Fantasy XI update. Um, so I uh, have gotten most of my classes kind of where I want them to in terms of level. There's one one class I have not that is Black Mage level 25. And then at that point, I'm going to kind of do the big first, like, I guess you could say boss of the game. It's like the first time you really go and fight a, uh, a challenging battle with a group of people um, kind of thing. So, and it is all kind of a uh, level capped, so you can't really just like have someone like, you know, force you past it. Um, I'm kind of of the mind that that might be a good stopping point for now. I mean, I, to be clear, I am still really enjoying Final Fantasy XI, but I think that would be the point that I probably want to... Well, here's my thought on it. I have that Final Fantasy XI video I did, right? And um, initially when I did that video, I think I had different ideas of where I would be at with Final Fantasy XI now. Um, and it has taken a lot longer than I thought I would take. And also I viewed it from many more angles than I thought I would view it as well. So... Um, I'm thinking that maybe centering a like a first video that's around like the first 30 levels might be a good a good video overall and then I don't have to necessarily you know just kind of like say next week we talk about party dynamics something like that right I, I don't know we'll see I want to kind of try to make that video a little bit more um rounded right so if you just watch that one video you you've gotten something kind of complete and if you don't come back for the next one if there's a next one right um you'll 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 be fine um so we'll see I, I, accessibility is really important for me on videos which is probably why like i i, I worry so much about like the Summerbringer video and stuff but i really want to make sure a video is meaningful on its own but also you know is accessible to people and there's there's kind of different ways you can handle that i think where um you know in the case of the Summerbringer video ultimately 
I I, I think the uh, the initial reaction you'll have is like, oh, I um, I need to explain everything about the Xeno series up until this point, and then I think you, the real answer is is that you need to not explain the Xeno series, you need to summarize it very quickly. And uh, try to basically get people on board with your video topic very quickly, in my opinion. So, does that mean they have, like, a deep understanding of what monoliths off and Xeno are? No, but they have enough information to get the video across. Like, what information do I need to provide to them? Especially since there's so many other videos out there that do the full, like, monolith soft coverage thing. So, anyways, that's where your video got, like, 5,000 views. It's kind of finally steadied out a bit, but that is way more than I'd ever expect um, for a video in the first, like, two weeks or whatever it was. So, thank you again for everybody who watched it. Um, big thanks if you gave me feedback. That was the big thing I was looking for in that video because I really didn't know what people would think of it. So, hearing feedback, detailed feedback from people... Um, from all sorts of angles, I think was really helpful to me, to me understanding like how everybody received it. Right. Um, and, and generally I think people received it good. And, and, and my goal really was to have less than 40% dislikes. So, you know, 60% likes overall, which you're like, that sounds kind of low, but guess what? My Xeno videos about, about 50%. So, so, um, that was my hope, but we'll see. Anyways, um, I didn't really sum up our show today, but this week, by the way, I didn't, I kind of skipped over that. So before we get any too much deeper, I just want to say, we'll be talking about a little bit more Xeno, not a lot more Xeno, but a little bit more Xeno here. Uh, just some rumors about some stuff that came up. So you might be familiar. We're going to talk about a crazy video game, a crazy video game. I don't know. Horse Derby Train Builder. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, but that we're talking about a Horse Derby Train Builder today. Uh, and then uh, Jillian's Corner. I feel like it's been a little bit since we had a Jillian's Corner. So Jillian's Corner will be here on this show, ready to go. And then guess what? We're going to talk about a video game. I actually have space in a show to talk about a video game. And we're going to talk about Star Fox Adventures. And hopefully it goes well because I tried recording something separately for this and stumbled over myself a ton. But guess what? Part of the reason I like talking about videos on a podcast is because in a podcast, I kind of just have to keep talking, <laughs> so I'll push through it, where if I'm recording privately, it's very tempting to stop and try over again, which is part of why I stopped doing casual reviews the way I did. Um, so we'll see. Care, care, pop, princess, I also kind of wrapped up that whole thing as well, but uh, I think we will, I'll try to record something separately, and if it doesn't go well, I will uh, talk about it on the podcast again later. We'll see how things go. I don't, I don't really know, but... Um, I did kind of start editing together uh, uh, more casual reviews. Some of them are unique to the to the One Control Plus channel. Some of them are from the podcast. So um, those are currently going to go up at a once a month pace. And then if I do set up one for every month this year, I'll start working backwards and start setting up two a month going from December up to, to, to whenever I'm at at that time kind of thing. And I think that will be kind of the goal with the uh, casual reviews is to at least have one one a month this year and then if i get extra in there to have two a month cool kind of thing so um so yeah uh anyways back to the uh kind of quick updates here real quick i know we sidetracked for a second there but um i went ahead and i don't think i talked about this podcast sorry if i talked about this already it's been a little bit i played akazukin chacha for the pcfx i talk about it on the pcfx fan club podcast the next episode of that coming out so if you're interested in that let me know uh, it's a really interesting game, though, because it's an anime that's based off the first season of the Akazuka and Chacha franchise. And so what that means is that the board game has a really weird progression to it and kind of really weird um, 
abilities for characters because they're based heavily on the show and it's less about whether a ability is useful and more about the novelty of abilities and things like that so i think there's a lot there there's still a lot more i need to do in terms of playing it mostly because it's like a six hour game at least right now like my, my experience is about six hours on it and um it is no saves so i need to kind of figure things out i don't really understand what's happening at the moment, I need to take it more slow this next time and probably play all six characters on the field. Because right now, like, all the AI go and I just can't tell what's happening as the AI kind of, like, blasts through different sections of the games and things like that. So so there's that. And then I also put up a post on the uh, PCFX fan club, Kofi, talking about PCFX sales numbers. Basically just some research around that. And it wasn't, like, me finding new sales numbers or anything like that. It was more of me taking the numbers that were out there and trying to find their sources and just try to get an idea of, like, how credible they are, really. Um, I'd say most of them are fairly credible, if not, um, let's say, uh, what, what's the word? Contra contradicting. Some of them are claiming different numbers at different times, but I think re regarding the sales numbers of the PCFX, they're all fairly trustworthy numbers. There's one number in particular that is off, um, and I'm still trying to see if I can figure out what that number is, but at the moment, I'm kind of relying on somebody else to uh, get back to me about that, so, so we'll see, but yeah. So that post is up there over on the Kofi, if you want to go check that out. I've been trying to post stuff up on the PCFX Kofi from time to time. That is a little bit more like research and archive stuff. So if you're interested in that, the PCFX Fan Club Kofi has that for you. Um, my personal Kofi on the One Control Port, Control Port channel is very much more focused on like, hey, here's some behind scenes about how I feel about writing about video games and videos, right? I think I said before, in some ways, I kind of view it as like a weird investor relationship kind of thing just like just like hey you're 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 gonna get a little more insight into how 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 the pizza's made baby um rather than just like content kind of thing so that that, that is how i've been positioning it for now so anyways let's get into some news got two news stories here well one news story one video game that i want to talk about the news story um, is a rumor. Uh, I believe it is from zippospeaks.blogspot.com, which, you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I know Zippo. People had very mixed feelings on whether Zippo was accurate in any regard. I don't know. In a lot of ways, I don't really care um, because this news story, whether it happens or not, doesn't really matter to me um, for the most part. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Um, is supposedly getting a full remake on the Switch successor. Um, so this, if you don't know, Xenoblade Chronicles X was the Wii U Xenoblade Chronicles that at the time we thought was the sequel to Xenoblade Chronicles, um, but ultimately ended up being more of a spinoff than anything, um, whether that was planned at the time or not is a whole other thing. And I think there are some interviews saying that from, from the beginning it wasn't planned to be like a, a, a straight continuation of the Xenoblade franchise per se. But um, it is one of those games that, uh, you know, hasn't been ported over. And uh, I think the problem with Xenoblade Chronicles X is it has a lot of very specific integration with um, the Wii U. And also, I think that game had a lot more problems than a lot of other Wii U games that came out. Um, I think a lot of people really put uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X on a pedestal. Um, and I think as, as they should in a lot of ways. But Xenoblade Chronicles X is a very good game. Uh, but it was a game that was, I think, kind of bit off more than it could chew. And it ended up with a situation where there's a ton of content. However, the world itself kind of feels incomplete in terms of just the storytelling, how things kind of come together, the progression. There's a lot of like quality of life things that are kind of weird and out of place that they never quite fix and things like that. 
And there's like a lot of Miiverse integration. The online multiplayer was this really strange thing. Um, it's There's a lot of things about the game that feel like somebody at some point, somebody had to make compromises. Um, in a lot of ways, you might be able to think of it as kind of like Xenogears in terms of how it handles its storytelling, but seeing that more from like a gameplay model, um, except for maybe Xenogears kind of falls off a little harder on the back half kind of thing. But, you know, it's one of those rare cases where Monolithsoft got really overly ambitious with their game design over their storytelling um, kind of thing. And so while I think the game is great on its own, um, I'm going to guess, given just the amount of work that needed to be done to get that thing disconnected from the Wii U, essentially, in terms of feature set, because we use the gamepad pretty heavily, um, it just it just needs to have a lot of work done. And I think in that process, I think they're going to go and rework the visuals and things like that if they touch this game. Like, w before this vid vi this rumor, I even felt this way of just, like, reworking the visual number visuals number one, uh, and then hopefully, uh, kind of after that, re reworking quality of life. And then if the thing that I didn't really think about before that is a little more on my mind now is that if this is a full remake, again, rumors, speculation, all that stuff, but if it is the full remake that they're claiming, and again, the word remake gets kind of thrown around in weird ways. Some people probably say Xenoblade Chronicles 1 Definitive Edition is a remake when it's really kind of like a new coat of paint on an old game with some quality of life changes, which is kind of what I was expecting with a Xenoblade Chronicles X re-release. Um, if it's something like that, that would make a lot of sense too. But um, if they did try to like really tear that game bar apart and bring it back together, I think they really could do a lot of trimming and a lot of just kind of like tightening up everything. I think they would add new content as well just to kind of incentivize people. But I, I think it would ultimately be better for that game to to reign in its scope a little bit not so much in terms of real world space in that game but more of just um kind of refine the storytelling of it um make the mission structure a little bit more friendly uh integrate uh character stories in the mission structure and things like that i think all that stuff would would been better kind of thing so um in the end a xenoblade chronicles x remake is not something i'm excited for and I worry that if that comes out um, and whatever new content is in it is buried in the game itself, I will probably never play it. Um, one of the only reasons I bought Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, the remake of the Xenoblade Chronicles 1, is the new content was a separate story mode that you could play separately. So I literally bought, you know, the full priced video game to get like a 10 hour little side DLC experience which i'm okay with that like at the end of the day i'm happy with that experience the, the the money amount for me for games doesn't really tie to hours um it's more about like how that experience was and and, and revisiting xenoblade chronicles in that very like tight form was really nice it's the way i feel about a lot of dlc today where i like going to dlc for games 10 years after the fact because it's just like a really nice small and tight way to like explore a game again especially if it's standalone you know it, you're not just like loading up a save file from 10 years ago with a bunch of junk and stuff, right? You, you you can start fresh, but it's like this experience that kind of assumes you generally know what's going on, right? And they can uh, they can kind of get you up to pace really quick. And it's just, this is not super deep. It's just this little pocket size experience. I'm, I'm really, my opinion on DLC has really shifted over the years. I think maybe dur if you didn't, couldn't tell during the 2023 uh, Game of the Year show, you know, I, I had a pretty heavy emphasis on DLC with Squatty to the Beach with uh, uh, Saz, Heads or Tails. And while not necessarily DLC, you know, Hackhawks and Xenoblade Chronicles or Xenosaga 3 kind of being its own little tiny fun thing as well. Um, and there's a lot of things I would like to explore a little bit more with DLC, I think, going forward. 
Um, but it's pretty rare that when a game is out, like when it's freshly out, I want to touch that DLC. It's usually something I kind of come back to years later um, in a lot of times. And, and so, and especially like additive DLC to games, like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 story content, when they added that, I played that and I was not a huge fan and it's the least memorable content of that game when it comes to the like non-future redeemed story stuff because there's the DLC that's future redeemed that's basically its whole video game. But the content added to the core based game is, you know, my Chronicles 3, I just do not care about. I think that's true in most cases with DLC is that I just don't care about it. It's like, I, especially with RPGs, there's so much side content in those games already. I don't really need a lot more, right? Um, there can be good DLC. Like it can be designed better, I will say. But um, I just, I just think like what I need usually is like a self-contained experience. And it's usually something I come back to later. And I kind of, in a lot of ways, view it as its own game. Um, just kind of built within the framework and the structure of the previous game, right? Um, I prefer that over like a sequel, honestly. If you're going to make a sequel that's basically the exact same video game, just give me a short little DLC pack. I'll be happy with that. Still be still be playing like what? Call of Duty? I don't know which Call of Duty is. Gonna, I was about to like try to make a, a, a line based off like the evolution of Call of Duty, but I don't know how Call of Duty has evolved over the years. So, but it feels like at least like the most recent Modern Warfare games, you could kind of build on top of each other. And uh, Modern Warfare 3, I think, is literally built on top of Modern Warfare 2 in terms of like even the installer and stuff like that being like a portal you log into or something. And you, I think you have to have Modern Warfare 2 installed. I don't know for sure. It's one of those things that like people are kicking up so much dirt about Modern Warfare 3. It's hard for me to know like what was real and what was not at this point. Anyways, I don't really need that, um, but uh, if it does happen, I think that's probably what would happen, or at least that would be my expectation. Again, I don't know anything, so like that's just me kicking kicking the dirt around and being like, oh, no, Zeno. Gotta say something about Zeno. I'm a Zeno fan, baby. Model of Soft fan, Zeno fan, whatever you want to call me. Our follow-up story after this is a beautiful, amazing thing, um, because this is like, I was talking to somebody, I was talking to Fireweed, actually, I was checking in on him. And, uh, and I was just like, this is a beautiful video game. <laughs> it has like everything I want in a video game and all the things also, I know you guys don't want, but it is also like makes it even better because it is everything I want it to be. So Tetsu, I think is how you pronounce it. It is a train racing simulator with a horse derby-esque racing mode. So basically... This game has you building trains. It's like a 3D model you can kind of build. And um, your trains are NFTs, of course. Um, they're actually 3D, though, which is actually kind of surprising for NFTs. Usually they're like little little like JPEG cards or whatever. But in this case, they are 3D models. The point of them being NFTs, don't know, kind of don't care. Um, but it features over 2,000 types of JR West vehicles. If you don't know, that's Japan Rail West. I don't know if Japan Rail owns like the copyright on their vehicle designs or something, but at least the, the, their website seems to claim that they are Japan Rail West vehicles. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how fitting that, how accurate they are or, or not. But um, anyways, but like it, it has like a little open world you can run around. It looks really rough. The lighting's real bad. It looks like a Dojin game in a lot of ways. Um, but it also has like hand drawn 2D art at times. Um, and the main characters in the cast and stuff like that have a very like yokai watch feel to them. It has this really nice polished uh, character art. Um, however, those like 10 characters are like the only characters that have really a lot of focus on them in terms of art. 
every other character seems to be AI generated and like not in a like AI generated make yokai watch AI generated art they just you know if you ever seen AI art it's like this like semi-realistic anime with like you know kind of weird color weird lighting and stuff like that and I always feel bad because like there some people have this style right uh, I don't know why AI art specifically has kind of leaned around this style but like it just looks like that style it doesn't try to melt into the game at all <laughs> but yeah um, so yeah, it's like a little game. You just put to, put together your, your trains. You have like a, a train track that races around on Rainbow Road and stuff. Sometimes just like a horse derby track. Um, and just I, de I guess depending on how you build your train, it, it depends on how you how how it works in the in the race and if you win or not and stuff like that, right? Um, so it was actually pretty neat. Um, it launched in December, so it is already out, and the reviews were pretty mixed. There seems to be a lot of concern about the balance of the game, as far as I can tell, just from my brief skim over machine translated reviews. Um, and then also I think there was just like a confusion of exactly how the NFTs would work. And, and I think the reason there was confusion was because the marketplace actually isn't open until February. Um, I think there was always like, I don't think op them opening the marketplace is going to solve any of those problems per se. Right. I think the weird thing with NFT games is I, I don't really understand the benefit in NFTs. Um, in terms of a game anymore. No one's really talking about that anymore. You don't have people being like, Oh, don't worry guys you're so dead to that two trains they'll import right into pokemon someday <laughs> right nobody's doing that anymore right um but uh but so i think it's really focused around this like increasing value narrative it's like increasing value of an asset but i i don't really understand what they're saying to back that up if that's like a hollow promise at this point right i mean i think personally i think it's a hollow promise at this point but I don't know what their argument for it is. Let's let's put it that way. I'm not saying so much the actual value, but their their argued value kind of thing. Um, but they actually really say an episode of an anime, episode zero. I forget how long it was. Uh, I watched it though. It seems pretty budget, but like decently produced. Like there's like a Gunvolt anime that came out on 3ds forever ago, and I think they sold like a DVD or Blu-ray of it at a uh, concert or something like that and it has a very low budget look and this looks better than that gunful ova so they put a decent amount of money into it i think um the story is pretty awesome it's a, a kid whose dad uh was working in a train building facility and then his dad dies and then he so the kid's like uh, initially he starts like as a little elementary school watching his dad being like oh watching his dad build the train and his dad has a pocket watch a big cartoonish pocket watch with like the yellow metal and like the clock in the middle and in the train he built there's a slot specifically for putting that pocket watch in for some reason and so the kid was like all excited to put it in there but anyway so his dad dies um and the kid keeps his pocket watch um, and while he's in like the funeral or whatever, I don't know what it's called in Japan, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're paying respects to him, his body and stuff like that. Right. Um, he hears like a little, a little like noise and, and a little cart with coal in it kind of pops up real quick. And he seems like really confused. So for some reason, I don't know why it seems like he goes back to the train company that his dad worked in and like is hacking their systems. Maybe there's a bunch of people yelling in the background. So I don't know if they're like coming after him or what, but, um, but he's hacking into the system and the pocket watch reacts and he gets transported into a train building fantasy world where pe people build trains and race them on horse tracks. Um, so it, it is very exciting. <laughs> Um, it's one of those things that just like, that's a video game I want to exist. 
And also, I really wanted to have NFT integration. Not because I'll play it, not because there's value, but a game like that needs NFT integration. So, so I was really excited about that. So starting the new year fresh with some NFT news kind of thing. Everyone's favorite. Um, but that was like, I was excited. To, I I I will never play Sodatetsu. I don't want to play Sodatetsu really, but I love that it exists. Very coin musume of it and in, in, in its spirit, right? All those people who like ignore NFTs now, you're missing out on the good stuff. <laughs> These news articles, wonderful. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, there's a um, what's it called? Initial D game that's like you know the the the, the racing game, street racing game kind of thing, and Tokyo Extreme Racing stuff. I'll probably if I play something like that, I'll be in Tokyo. I'll probably play Tokyo Extreme Racing someday because Genki worked on that. And I have more relationship with Genki than Initial D or anything like that. But uh, they actually have the Dojin Group made a a train street racing game as well, where you like do drifting and stuff on train tracks and stuff. And I think that's, I think it's kind of a neat concept because trains are inherently like really limited in a lot of ways, right? Um, but trains are such like a, a a big thing in Japan, or at least they previously were. I don't know the trajectory of train popularity in Japan. When I was in Japan, I was sitting at the this, 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 the like the front cart or whatever. And uh, some kids came like barreling down there to go look at the train operator. <laughs> um, I was just like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, anyways, train games. Will I play one someday? Probably. Man, I would probably play a train horse racing game over over a regular horse racing game. Honestly, maybe I do need to play Sodatetsu. Let's not worry about that. Uh, I forgot I had this on the list, but I, I didn't mark it properly, so it is here. Magician's Dead came out, launched in December, apparently launched very buggy. Um, developer has a bunch of like uh, complaints and stuff that they've, uh, they're addressing, and they have apparently difficulty matchmaking and things like that. So I have not, if you don't know, uh, Magician's Dead's like an arena fighter from the arcade from forever ago, but this gimmick was mostly motion controls based, so playing it on a PlayStation 4 is the version of the game that they have up and running now. Um, isn't really ideal for me. Um, I am curious about checking it out. I think it is a paid retail boxed copy game though. So I don't think it's like free to play. I can just go download it and check it out. I, I might need to double check on that, but if it's free to play, I might, I might just put some time into it while the player base is there. Um, but if it's going to cost me like, you know, $60 plus, you know, whatever shipping or whatever, or I guess you could do digitally. Right. But well, you know, if it's going to cost me a bunch of money, I don't know if I'll do it. So it's time. It's here. We're in Jillian's corner. Did you know you can support me on Kofi? I don't have the list up here of people who have supported me on Kofi, so I'm going to pull that up here real quick. But if you support me on Kofi, you can ask a question like Jillian has. Jillian, we are coming to the end of Jillian's questions. We have, uh, I, I, thank you, Jillian, for your service. You have done us a real uh, duty, service, and favor. Um, we have got, let me see. Um, three people, four people, four people, uh, fireweed. Thank you guys. Fireweed gets a double. Thanks. Apparently I, I didn't realize he donated twice in the last, actually, is that the last month? No, that's not the last one. fireweed. You get one. Thank you. And you'll be happy about it. <laughs> but fireweed did do donate in November as well. So thank you fireweed for both your November and December donations. I appreciate that. Demodori donated. And then also Megament donated as well. Demodori donated twice. Demodori, I don't know if I thanked you for that second donation. Thank you, Demodori, for your second donation. I think I might have missed that one. I might have doubled up my brain entries on that. So 
anyway, thank you again for supporting me. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope you guys are enjoying uh, the stuff's coming out. I know Stormbringer is a very specific thing for me, but I tried to make that video as, as accessible as possible. Any feedback from people who are doing to the Kofi about the Stormbringer video, if it's of your interest, things like that, always helpful to know. Um, the, the, I, I love feedback. Let's just say that that is like the one thing I feel like I never get. And so whenever I do get it, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Give me that feedback. <laughs> so, so yeah, but I appreciate everybody who, who takes time out of their day to let me know their thoughts on videos and things like that as well. I've been rambling. Jillian's asking a question. Jillian asks, are there, I'm clicking on stuff. Sorry if you're hearing my click. I, I opened something. No, get out of here. Get out of here thing. Program, program, close. Anyways, uh, Jillian asks, are there any older arcade games you like? I had to think about this one. Uh, you know, I used to like older arcade games more, I think. I think I have, I have been less invested in them. And uh, one thing that I didn't do last year that I really wanted to, and unfortunately I had to wipe my whole OBS setup recently. So my work on, on setting up a stream setup for this uh, unfortunately died. But uh, I really wanted to do like more arcade oriented streams. Um, and I just think mentally I'm just not where I need to be for that right now. Um, I think I would probably need to, I think, I think I need significant social changes in my life to get back to the point where I was ready to stream pretty frequently. Right now, I feel like I'm, I'm keep pretty busy and, and I'm always happy to talk to people. But at the same, same time, like when, 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 when I've talked to a ton of people at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's hard for me to go and stream and talk to people there as well. So, um, and that's not anything, you know, for any, any of you to worry about individually, that's my own problem. Um, so, but I, I really wanted to play more and stuff in that, that kind of thing, but never really got around to it. So I don't know if that's a plan still in the books. It kind of fell off. I kind of stopped talking about it cause I wasn't sure if it's going to go forward. And I think at this point I can say right now, those plans have kind of fallen through. So I would like to eventually, but, um, as a child and a young adult, I had some uh, some arcade games that I liked, older arcade games. Space Harry is the common one for me. Um, it is very, I don't know what it is. It's like very fast paced. Presentation's really flashy. Um, I played it in Shenmue initially in the arcade there, um, which was like a nice novelty on its own. But I've always really enjoyed Space Harrier as a whole. I've not played like a full cab. I think it has one of those tilt cabs. I could be wrong, but I believe it does. Um, but, but I always really loved how, how it played. Just very easy pickup play, nice bouts between challenging and stuff like that. And it moves really fast. Um, everything's like really kind of clear and visible. Each of the stages have like its own unique, um, like uh, obstacles and things like that, which I appreciate. Um, uh, I think it's just a lot done with a little in Space Harrier in a lot of ways, but it's also a game that, you know, I think was, was, was kind of pushing, I don't know for sure, but I think, I think it was kind of like that, that, that kind of like scrolling 3d look was kind of more novel with space harrier but i think it really benefited from the speed versus a game that has like polygons and stuff like that even something like you know uh star wars arcade that's another game that is not on this list but i really like star wars arcade um go, goes a little slow um i think what star wars arcade has over space harrier though is uh star wars arcade's voice clips i think do a really good job of complementing the whole movie experience of you are playing the star Wars movie. I know like if you look at star Wars arcade and visually, yeah, it's laughable to say that. Right. But, um, I think that game embodies the feel of a trench run really well. Right. Um, I think the same thing with, uh, with the battle of Hoth and things like that. Although I think maybe the, um, GameCube game maybe did a little bit better with the battle of Hoth. I don't know for sure. I haven't played in a long time. 
But um, but yeah, I, I think that, that original Star Wars, the trench run kind of thing, uh, it was all very, very fun. I think the asteroid belts in the second game or third game, I should say, because I think the second game is like a sprite based game. But the original Star Wars arcade, I think I, I think I'm always split on the two vector graphics Star Wars arcade games. I think they're both great games. They both have their own strengths. But I think the la latter one maybe is like a more polished experience. But I think maybe the, the set pieces that's used with it aren't as like iconic and exciting as the original star wars arcade but it's a very cool game in that regard uh bosconian i i liked bosconian a lot i know a lot of people think it's very slow and i understand why right you have to kind of like aim your shots and things like that and you're kind of in this open world where you're kind of going around this space very like rally x in a lot of ways um going around trying to blow up these ships and stuff like that or these space stations rather and it's a very cool game in that regard i think the one problem bosconian has is that each level doesn't really have a lot of variety in it. So so you're kind of doing the same thing over and over again, which is kind of, in some ways, a common thing with older arcade games and part of the reason why I might struggle with those a little bit more. Um, I really need to like be able to see the depth of a game um, and sometimes that's through presentation. It can be in other ways as well, right? Like I think Space Harry is a good example of a game that like, well, it does have presentational differences on each stage. I think ultimately it kind of more or less looks the same, right? And uh, But I think they do a good job of keeping things feeling varied through different obstacles, different enemy types and things like that. So Growl. Um, there's not a lot to say about Growl other than I like the concept of it. I don't know. You're like a cowboy man and re rescuing animals. That's that's about it. <laughs> it's a beat em up cowboy man rescuing animals. Uh, or maybe Indiana Jones type. I don't know. I, that's all I remember is rescuing a bunch of animals and there being very dumb voice clips in there. And I also really liked Magic Sword when I played that when they released it on the PlayStation 3 with Double Dragon, I believe. Um, I think for D Magic Sword, I think I like that kind of like short arcadey RPG system. Um, and so especially because I, I think at around that time... Was I playing Dragon's Crown at that time? I had a really negative reaction to Dragon's Crown, and I think arcade-style, RPG-style beat-em-ups kind of filled the hole that Dragon Crown, Dragon's Crown left for me. I don't know why. I have, like, a weird bias against Vanillaware games and things like that. So it's a very strange thing, but I've not liked any Vanillaware game that I've played um, very much. I think there's a lot of... I don't know. So a lot of their, I think they look nice. I think their gameplay is often very boring, though. But anyways, thank you again. Jillian, for your question. Thank you again, everyone, for supporting me on Kofi. I appreciate it. Now it's time. Wrap up the show with some Star Fox Adventures. Ooh, I played this game. I don't look, Star Fox Adventures. I don't know why. But I just like woke up one morning and I was like, Star Fox Adventures is now something I'm going to play. I don't know what what came over me. It just I woke up and I was like, Star Fox Adventures. And so Within a couple of days, I started Star Fox Adventures. So, um, Star Fox Adventures is like it's weird. It's it's it's, it's an action adventure game that's more in line with Zelda than it is a Star Fox game, right? Um, and and if you don't know, this game was developed by Rare, so people who made Banjo Kazooie and things like that. And they're not usually the ones to make Star Fox games. Um, this is their their one experience, and it is it's one of the most weirdest games I've played in in, in recent years. Um, one of those reasons, if you have been tuned into the video game industry long enough, you'll know is this game was not a Star Fox game in the first place. It was a game called Dinosaur Planet. Um, and, and I think there is something to be said about how that puts this game in like a weird space in terms of like what Star Fox is. But I think it's also weird in the way that this game feels kind of caught between Rare's game design during like the Nintendo 64 era, era with like all the goofiness and things like that. But it also has like this really genuine attempt to do world building. 
And so it really tries to craft this world that, that feels like it wants you to take it seriously. But then there's like an Irish stone guy who shows up and he's like, oh, you want to go to the WAP zone? <laughs> Something like that, right? And so it's this really weird contrast where like it feels like a Banjo-Kazooie game in terms of tone. But when you when you think about like what it's trying to do from a world building perspective, it feels much more... Um, I don't know how to put it. It's like very otherworldly in, in very strange ways. So it's a very, very bizarre game. So, you know, when you think of Star Fox games overall, you know, the gameplay experience you usually have is, you know, largely, you know, space flight stuff. Uh, occasionally you'll get some games with some on-ground sequences and things like that, or some kind of like tank sequence or something like that. Um, this game doesn't really have that. Uh, flying is a part of this game, but it's really just kind of like tacked on as like a mini game. Um, this game's actually kind of packed with a ton of mini games and this, it kind of qualifies in that space of just, it's not very well, um, made in my opinion. It doesn't feel as good as like, you know, Star Fox 64, but it's, it's not the focus of the game. So I think that's, that's fairly reasonable. Every single flying mini game is basically just fly through however many gold rings and there's like a score counter. It just feels very un-Star Fox in how it's presented in a lot of ways, but you know, it, it kind of has the shell of a Star Fox game on top of it. So, um, so the core game itself is really focused on exploration and uh, pu puzzle solving, and pu and it's a very open game in a strange way as well. So it's it's very, it feels very weird. Um, so it doesn't really hold your hand all that much, but despite you know it being fairly open, it also has a lot of very clear narrow paths. So what you have is a lot of areas in the game that kind of have a central area that you're exploring and then little tunnel systems that kind of come off of it. And, and the tunnel systems can literally be tun tunnel systems in some cases, but other times it's just like very narrow corridors. And it seems very like, if you know how video game design works, it definitely feels like, oh, we're hiding some loading zones here. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, you know, knowing that much is not really that important. There's just a lot of spaces in this game that you kind of tread over a lot and it just feels very unnatural and its design and stuff like that. And again, it kind of goes at a contrast with this game that's like trying to build a world in a lot of ways. Um, but because it has that more open design, what, what the key aspect is to navigating this world is basically fighting various items and skills that, that basically act as keys to lock doors, right? So there's like this little jet pad you can kind of launch up using. Uh, there's, there's like these little levers you can kind of hit. Um, you have different like elemental shots um, and, and things like that. And each of these kind of solve different problems in the worlds themselves. And some of them are a little bit more natural. I'd say most of them actually feel very unnatural. Um, the puzzle system in this game, like takes a very Zelda approach where it's like, oh, you want to hit the switch on the wall, but you're like in the middle of like a, a like snow forest or whatever. And then just like this very mechanical switch is just like sticking out of a tree for like no reason you hit it. And then like, you know, this rock kind of just like comes out of the water in a really strange and bizarre way that it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. So there's a lot of things about this world that just doesn't feel very real. It feels very, very video gamey in a lot of ways. Um, and, and this is also true, I think, in, in how the dialogue plays out and how things are communicated to the player, because I think they have a hard time finding ways to really direct you where you need to go. So very rarely does it feel natural um, in terms of like what your next objective is. It often feels like you're asking characters in the game to kind of figure it out and they have to tell it to you in a very video gamey kind of way. Um, Slippy is kind of your main hint system and he'll sit there and kind of walk through what you should be doing next. And sometimes that is often very clear so you don't need to worry about it that often. But there are definitely moments in the game where like, for example, there's like these weeds you have to kind of get off a tree and you need to kind of put them out. And if you use a variety of different attacks on them, it just destroys these weeds. 
Um, but if you hit them with your rod, it puts out, they're called fireweeds, so they're all on fire. If you hit them with your rod, it puts the fire out. But you would think like using the ice spell would put the fire out, but no, it just blows up the weed. So it's like strange things like that, just like weird illogical design that doesn't really, I think, fit naturally with like what the player is trying to do in a lot of ways. Um, but I don't think it's bad though. I think it's just very video game focused. And and I think the reason why it stands out so much in this particular game is Star Fox Adventures has a very like spiritual feel to it. Um, you know, there, there, there's these very like, um, you know, I guess like if you're familiar with Crystal, right? Crystal's this very like, um, mystical character in a lot of ways, right? She, she rides a flying dinosaur. She, she has like a ma- staff of magic power that uh, Fox uses to fight in this game. He doesn't have his blast or anything like that. And the, the whole thing is like, oh, Fox, you'd, you'd shoot too many people, which is a really weird way to put that, but sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he gets a staff to go beat up a bunch of dinosaurs instead. Um, but, but there's like this whole system that's about like finding these spirits and these spirits have like these long trailing, like spiritual things behind them. They talk to you in very, very kind of mystical ways. They're very serious in their implementation. And, and so it's, it's, it's this thing where you, you feel like they're, they're trying to build this lore out and like really in ways that they really want you to take it seriously. And, and just the fact that clashes so much just makes it really odd and makes it very inconsistent feeling. But at the same time, I think that is also part of what makes this game stand out is that harsh contrast between these kind of design philosophies of a rare platformer kind of thing and 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 you know something that takes itself a bit more serious in a more zelda style way right um i i do think that uh well i am curious if like cameo or something like that from rare kind of fulfills this vision in the end i never actually played cameo on the xbox 360 i'd be kind of curious if it takes it a bit more seriously or if rare kind of views the more like um uh, goofy elements of its dialogue and characters as like a, a essential part of its DNA. I, I kind of realized in playing this that I have not played a rare game in forever. Like I, I played Banjo-Kazooie as a kid when I was like at people's houses or renting games or something like that, but really never revisited the developer. So kind of experiencing that that style of game again um, is, is, is a very odd experience for me that, that, that was kind of a surprise in some ways. But what I will say is this game, what it does do very well is its visuals. I think the, 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 the Fox's fur effect looks really good. The environments look really great for early like 2002 GameCube game. I think it is, is, is an amazing looking game in a lot of ways that really holds up today uh, outside of kind of the more corridor designs kind of thing so so it, it looks really good especially when you consider it it started as like a nintendo 64 game in a lot of ways and and i think that contrast is like really part of what makes it stand out though like it, it's a hodgepodge of rare kind of collect-a-thon platformer design where you're kind of going around these environments collecting items that open up new doors and things like that and there's like a currency in this game as well um, but then it also has like the Zelda element to it where you're kind of going to these temples and dungeons and solving puzzles and things like that. And, um, you know, I feel like there are a lot of games during the GameCube era that kind of honestly took this approach. But I, I wonder, you know, I haven't played a lot of them. And I feel like with this game, there's probably something unique about its feeling of mashing up that kind of rare world um with with kind of a a zelda like rare, rare world in tone with a zelda world and in, in game design right it, it, it's very interesting in that regard i say this is somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience with rare so maybe i'm i'm miss uh 
misconstruing exactly like what what was the inspiration here but it definitely feels like this strange mishmash of two design philosophies that were kind of under the same roof um with nintendo right so um but it, 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 it's really i think interesting in, in in that regard at the very least so um yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, that's all I have to say about it. Um, my cat is going crazy all of a sudden and is like meowing like crazy. I kind of stepped away for a moment trying to see if he'd calm down, give him some treats, but no, he's still meowing. So you might hear him before as I close up the podcast this week. He's also like, I have a low uh, pantry door that he likes to swing open and close a lot. So you might hear that as well. But anyways, um, whether you hear that or not, thanks again for coming for this week. Or thanks again for coming this week. One tour account is the website. Um, again, Kind of the next uh, to do on the list is PCFX Fan Club Podcast. We want to try to get that up as soon as possible. So hopefully we'll have that out sooner rather than later. But keep an eye on that feed. Keep an eye on onecontrolport.com. And anything I post will go up there. I haven't posted the PCFX sales numbers up there as of me talking into this microphone. But I think that will actually be something I do tonight as I before I wrap up. Uh, while I'm editing this podcast, I'll probably try to get that posted over and linked back onto the Kofi and stuff like that as well. But if you're interested in kind of PCFX research and stuff like that, I'm going to be trying to do more on that Kofi. So again, follow that if you are interested. Otherwise, um, you know, I, I think it is uh, at the moment that is that, that is kind of my, my, my key focus is PCFX. But that's kind of the benefit of the PCFX fan club is that it makes me kind of come back to PCFX regularly and think about it again, right? But uh, once I get off that, I initially was thinking about the Nintendo thing, but kind of after I realized kind of where I'm at with Final Fantasy XI and kind of like what kind of bow time kind of wrapping up on it in the short term here, um, I may focus mostly on the Final Fantasy XI stuff because I think I have a lot of thoughts on what I want to do with that video now that's going to be different from before. I think initially it won't look very different, but I think as, as, it, as it comes together, you know, from, from what my initial plans were, were with the stuff that you guys didn't see in that, that trial video... Um, that stuff will probably look very different um, overall. So, so yeah, but I hope you guys enjoy that. Otherwise, uh, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks again uh, here at the end of January. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I feel like uh, feel like we're in a new spot at the beginning of the year and we can uh, we can find, you know, our, our, our guidance this year. See what's going to, where are we going to go? Where are we going to be? Where are we going to end up? I don't know. We'll find out. But I hope you're able to join me on this journey through 2024 while we play video games and talk about video games. Mostly talk about video games. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you guys have a great two weeks. Bye.